1943, as a hurricane was making landfall near Galveston, Texas, Lieutenant Colonel Joe Duckworth was sitting down to breakfast with some British pilots. They were teasing him about the reliability of American planes. To prove them wrong, Duckworth bet them a highball that he could fly through a storm in an AT-6 Texan single-engine trainer. He and his co-pilot took off from Brian Field and successfully flew through the hurricane and returned safely. That flight helped the Air Corps realize the value of flying into storms to measure their intensity and provide better warnings. From then on, regular reconnaissance flights were made into tropical storms and hurricanes. Fast forward 80 years and there are several planes from both the U.S. Air Force and NOAA that fly into not only hurricanes, but also northeast winter storms and west coast atmospheric rivers. In today's episode, we soar into the turbulent world of weather aircraft reconnaissance. I'm meteorologist Emily Gracie and you're listening to Off the Radar, a production of the National Weather Desk. On the show, we dig deep into topics about weather, climate, the ocean, space, and much, much more. Our goal is to help you better understand the weather and to love it as much as we do. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Flying through a hurricane has to be quite a thrill ride. Listen to Jonathan Shannon from NOAA comparing it to a roller coaster ride. But uh, the best analogy I've gotten is is being in uh, a car wash on a roller coaster. So basically an old wooden roller coaster, but sort of the same sensation of a, a car wash, just fire hose on the windows. So When I worked in local television, there were numerous opportunities to fly with the hurricane hunters on media flights. But seeing as I break into a cold sweat on a two-hour southwest flight, it was a hard pass for me. Aircraft reconnaissance missions into tropical storms have morphed quite a bit over the years. Lieutenant Colonel Ryan Rickert is an Air Force flight meteorologist with the 53rd Weather Reconnaissance Squadron. He's flown on over 100 missions ranging from winter storms to Cat 5 hurricanes. The Hurricane Irma, I flew on that storm as it basically peaked. So we could tell from the air at 10,000 feet. That, so that was very humbling, like, wow, like Cat 5 just went wipe this island out. In today's episode, Ryan and I chat about his life and career flying into storms with the Air Force. So sit back, strap in as we take flight into the exhilarating world of hurricane hunting. Ryan, this is very exciting to talk to you. And you're a man on the go. Your life is about to get a lot crazier here in the next couple of months, I'm sure. So I'm glad we got a hold of you and could That's talk great. about your career because this is a really cool step. What can you take me through the process of um, what what it is the hurricane hunter does? Are you flying the plane? Are you dropping the instrument packs? What role do you play? Well, I'm actually the meteorologist, the flight meteorologist on the plane. So uh, we're in control of all the weather information that goes off the plane to uh, the National Hurricane Center. Um, and also in the wintertime, we, we fly winter storms or winter 
winter storms off the West Coast, the Gulf of Mexico and the Atlantic, uh, we do, it's a pretty significant part of what we do. The atmospheric rivers that hit the West Coast and impact the United States. And, uh, and eventually a lot of those storms turn into ones that impact the rest of the United States. So those ones are very um, drops on intensive, the instruments that we drop out of airplanes that are basically the opposite of what a weather balloon does. Um, you see these big white balloons that are launched from the, the ground up. They go as high as they possibly can, and then they burst and then fall to the surface of the earth. Um, while recording data all the way up, drop sons that are about um, uh, 20, 20 inches long, and there are cylinders, and we launch them from our airplane down to the surface of the ocean. And those record the same exact data that an, a weather balloon records. And that is high resolution data that gets put into the forecast models. And it makes them a lot more accurate because we fly, wherever we fly over the oceans, it's very data sparse areas. There's no weather information that's being put into the models, mostly um, over those locations. So that's a big chunk of what we do and why we do it. And then, of course, the the more exciting part of our mission, flying into the hurricanes and the uh, the cyclones in the uh, northern hemisphere, um, they can be very exciting. Sometimes they're not as exciting because we have to get to them. So we'll fly three hours sometimes and route to these storms where it's very mundane. You're pretty much just ferrying to the location. And then you'll fly anywhere from three to six hours in the storm um, doing different patterns um, collecting different data that the Hurricane Center wants you to collect. And then when we're done with our mission, then we fly back home for, for three hours of a very mundane, <laughs> uh, you know, ferry flight back home or wherever we're flying. So it, all in all, our our job is pretty exciting when we're in the storm environment and doing the mission part of it. But, you know, to and from, I would say that the rest of the crew is a little more busy than we are at that time. You know, for example, the pilots are flying the aircraft, the navigators navigating for us. And then we also have a load master in the back with us that launches the drop songs for us. So um, everyone has their own role in the airplane. Um, we're all a crew, though, and we all have to ensure that the safety of the aircraft and safety of the crew is paramount. That's our number one priority. Um, you're with the Air Force, but there are different branches of hurricane hunters, correct? Kind of, yes. Uh, there is um, us, which we have 10 WC-130J aircraft, and we're the 53rd Weather Reconnaissance Squadron, and do primarily the brunt of the operational mission taskings that NHC asks us to do. There is also the NOAA AOC um, Air Operations Center. Um, they're part of Department of Commerce. And they have one G4 and two P3 aircraft. So three total. One, the G4 does a different type of mission. They they fly very high and launch those weather instruments I spoke of earlier. They drop around the environment to make the models more accurate. And then the P3 aircraft can fly similar missions of us. They're more research focused and learning about the storms, uh, storm structure. They have scientists that fly on their airplanes with them. And they all have different things they want them to do and different patterns they want them to fly in the storm environment to learn more about the storm, learn more about hurricanes and cyclones. Um, and they have different instrumentation on the aircraft that we don't have currently to to learn more about the, the storms. So they can do, they can augment us and they can do a similar type of mission, but they're primarily uh, focused on 
research and using their tail Doppler radars to get different information into the models that we are unable to get into the models. Okay, so hurricane hunters is kind of the overall term that we call you guys. Do you think that term is going to change in the coming years? Because you're hunting a lot more than hurricanes these days. True. I mean, that's that's really, it comes down to what we were founded upon um, back in the mid or early to mid 1940s. So that was, we were founded based on that. So that's, that's what we were founded on. That's what we started doing. And that was what we did for a decade. I think that's just something that, you know, we were founded upon. So I don't know if it'll necessarily change. Um, but what we have started to do is on our tails, we had, we have on eight of our aircraft, it says hurricane hunters. We're changing it back to just weather. It's just going to say weather on it because we do weather reconnaissance for not only the hurricane mission, the operational hurricane mission um, and NHC, but we are also doing the winter a lot more winter. And it actually is, it's gaining a lot of steam. We go out there for two months straight and fly these missions. This past year was a record year. I don't know if you followed the weather in the West coast, but they got pummeled and like extreme droughts were, basically wiped away in a lot of portions of California and Oregon and Washington. So yeah, I, I don't know if our name will change, but we are known for other types of missions. So do you move in the, in the winter? Do you move to the West Coast and that's where you're based out of? We, we do. We, um, we take a couple aircraft out there and then we rotate our crews every two weeks. So we'll, we'll you know, just so somebody doesn't have to stay out there for a month or two months at a time. Um, we, we basically have volunteer blocks where we have people sign up for two week blocks and we break it up into four. So that way everyone will have a chance to go out there for two weeks, fly that type of mission, come home and then just do their administrative jobs that we have here located at our unit. Um, but we'll be out there on station for two months. And then this past year, we opened it up to being basically on call. So if there was a storm that they were really concerned with, that it was going to be a big weather producer, they could ask for tasking for to task us. And then we would tell them if we had the airplanes and the crews available to go fly. And one of one case we did, and then a couple cases we didn't because with our growing seasons, we've, we've basically now are 10 months out of 12 months operational, you know, between the hurricane mission or the tropical mission and the winter. So now there's really not much of a break for our aircraft and our maintainers that are supporting it. So it's just continued to be a growing mission. Um, it's it's at the highest levels of our of our government, the the impact that these storms have on the West Coast. So it's not going anywhere. Um, so we just got to be able to figure out how to balance that with the our manning, um, the support of it, our aircraft, our maintainers and, and everything that goes along with it. How long have you been doing this and how did you get started in it? So I started, um, I joined the Air Force in 2002. So I've been almost 21 years now. I did, I served active duty for 13, transitioned from active duty to the Air Force Reserves. And uh, so I applied just like anybody else would for a normal job. They have to have the opening to to hire into. And uh, I just, uh, I applied like a normal applicant um, and came and interviewed with in front of a bunch of people and they asked questions and then I, you know, they let you know a couple of weeks later that I got hired. So, but I got hired as an, a part-timer initially. Um, and then as a full-time position opened up, applied and got that position as well. So 
So for my position, I have to have a meteorology de- degree background, have to be a commissioned weather officer in the Air Force to do what I do. Um, and, and then it comes with a lot of more, a lot more training here because I've never flown an aircraft on a crew before. So we have to learn, we have to teach our flight meteorologists how to be a crew member, how, what it means to be a part of a crew, um, and be on the airplane and learn about all the safety things. And, uh, so that we're not a liability to the crew, we're actually part of the crew. And then we have to teach them the specialized, um, academics that are involved with directing the, the tropical mission. So it takes about a year after two years to be, be fully qualified to do our position once you enter the unit here. So tell me about the ride itself and what it's like to be in the plane when you're flying through a hurricane. I have a lot of questions about if it's a bumpy ride, where you're going to the bathroom, because you're talking about hours and hours here that you're <laughs> in the plane, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're in the there, plane. Is there for, a potty on board? <laughs> there is. <laughs> it's, okay. it's not spectacular. <laughs> um, but it's a platform and a toilet, you know, it's all at the back of the plane. So there's a curtain, of course, for privacy. And yes, you need to use it because we're out there um, on our winter missions, eight to 12 hours and our tropical missions average eight to 10 and could be up to 12 hours. So you're, you're in the plane for almost half a day. Uh, you have to take multiple meals. I mean, if you eat a lot of food, so <laughs> they're, there's a Wait, microwave so you're not on board. burritos on board, are you? <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes people warm them up in the, we have a microwave, um, a small microwave that works 90 to 95% of the time. Um, and then as far as the ride goes, the winter and the, the tropical are much different. Um, the winter we fly as high as we possibly can. So we're not, most of the time, I would say 90 to 95% of the time, we're not in weather. We're above the weather. They're, the winter are low moisture, uh, low, um, low in altitude. All the moisture in the weather is very low. And as it gets closer to the West Coast, it, of course, um, rises and causes a lot of precip when it hits the coast and the mountains. So we're above most of the weather. Sometimes we have a turbulence up high and some icing. Um, so it's a little different aspect. When we're in the tropical missions, we're a lot lower. We're we're flying anywhere from 500 feet to up to 10,000 feet, which means we're flying right through thunderstorms. We're intersecting it. So the ride can be a lot more turbulent, a lot more crazy. We, we, we can get struck by lightning. We can experience extreme turbulence as we're going through Category 5 eye walls of, of uh, hurricanes. But sometimes it's mundane. It just depends. Every system is different. Every, every tropical system is different um, in what we're doing. If we're very low in altitude, we're trying to avoid those, you know, thunderstorms. We're not going to fly through a thunderstorm at 500 feet because we have very little room for a maneuver. If we get caught in a downdraft, you know, we're very close to the ocean. Not only thunderstorms, but like, do you ever run into tornadoes? I mean, hurricanes can spawn tornadoes. Does that ever happen? So we'll see water spouts over the water. We'll avoid those if we see them. Um, And then as you start getting into the eye walls of hurricanes, that's where you'll start seeing a hook echoes like our meso meso vortices rotating around the inside of the eyes. And we'll try to cheat and avoid those as we're, as we're intersect coming through the eye wall. So we try to, we try to hit the softest spot on the eye wall, but there's, you know, 50 to 75% of the time we can't really maneuver because it's so turbulent. And the more maneuvering you do in that environment, the more prone you are to, 
you know, tipping, you know, getting the wing, you know, tipping the wings as we start turning and you don't want to get caught on an updraft on one of your sides of your airplane because then you're just going to get flipped um, or do, you know, it's going to cause severe damage to the airplane. So try to stay flat, you know, straight and level. Uh, we can do some small turns in the eye walls, but if it starts getting really turbulent, we just, we basically know where we're going. We're going to the eye and we get into the eye. Then we start make maneuvering to find that center fix of the storm. Do you ever get scared or have you been doing this long enough now that you know that this is just normal? And then I'm also curious, have there ever been situations where you guys have really been in danger or something terrible has happened? It's pretty much normal. Like you, once you start out in training, you're kind of like, oh, whoa, you know, but then you, it turns into your normal <laughs> day, you know, your normal job. Um, there are some that are definitely gnarly situations. Um, shall I say, there's been a couple times where I've been on flights where we've kind of got caught in an eye wall where we couldn't get out of it because we ended up getting tailwinds and, and we didn't want to make drastic turns. So now you have a huge tailwind um, behind you, and that that can cause. Are you problems. just going in circles at that point? Well, yeah, like you kind of go, you start working your way around the eye wall. So that's bad. You don't want too much ground speed. You don't want too much speed. You don't want to be too slow because then you can stall. So we fly at 180 knots, which is rough air penetration speed. So it's, it allows for very um, good maneuverability in that type of environment. However, you know, getting caught in the eye wall doesn't, that's not good because then you get a lot of tail speed, you know, tailwind, um, then you can't maneuver the aircraft. So I've been in a couple of situations like that. Um, some of the storms, there's just not, there's a lot of land interaction or mountain wave interaction on the East coast of, or West coast of Mexico. We get some really, really rough storms over there where just it's constant. The play is just shaking. Gotcha. Do people get sick up there like the newbies? Or are they up there? Not really. I mean, there's been a couple people that's come through that it's just not their thing and then they'll move on. But uh, for the most part, everyone does pretty well. All right. So you've got you, the pilot. Can you tell me about the other positions on plane on the plane? So, I'm guessing you're just monitoring the storm the entire time and, and giving weather information. Yeah. Yeah. For the most part. I mean, during that type of mission, yeah, we're we're. Um, we're providing, we're launching weather instruments. We're, we're looking out the window. We're, we're providing, um, situational awareness to the hurricane forecasters. What's what we're seeing, what we're experiencing in the airplane. Cause they're not there. There's no, there's no replacement to having someone there in the storm and, and experiencing that. Um, then we have the drops on operator, the load master. So we're basically telling them where we want them launched. And then they're QCing the data as it comes through. And then they send to us. And then we look at, at it from a weather perspective. Then we have the aircraft commander who's up in the front as one of the pilots. He's ensuring the mission is um, safe, like making sure that we do our mission. And then there's another pilot. So there's two pilots in the seat, a co-pilot. And then there's a navigator who's telling us where to go. And he's watching the radars, make sure we don't go in anything unsafe as well. Yeah, I know that weather balloons are sometimes recovered. Do you ever hear about the drop signs being recovered? They ever pop up anywhere? Very rarely. <laughs> not really. But there's tons just out there in the ocean now. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. But I, I believe we've been told that they're like 95%, you know, biodegradable. So there's that at least. 
Okay, so do you have any stories of a time that you really remember or a storm that really stood out to you that like you'll just never forget? I'm picturing, you know, like you guys are on the front lines of like knowing when something's a chat five all of a sudden, like we're waiting, we're waiting, you know, all of us on the ground waiting. So I'm curious, do you have any just very memorable moments that you'll never forget? Any missions that stand out? Back in the like 16 and 17, I flew in a couple of those big ones like Hurricane Matthew. Uh, Hurricane Irma, Maria, um, that caused a lot of damage. So uh, Hurricane Irma, I flew on that storm as it basically peaked and and flew over, uh, I think it was St. Martin, and saw, actually, we could tell from the air at 10,000 feet, like the entire runway was the beach. Like the water and the beach was totally over that runway. And if you're familiar with St. Martin, the runway is right on the beach, like right by the ocean and it looked like a beach. So we, we were able to see that, that, so that was very humbling. Like, wow, like cat five just went wiped this Island out. Um, and then continued to strengthen just knowing what it did was just, you know, humbling. So just being a part of some of those missions, knowing that it's, it's making, um, a significant impact for the people on the ground and the hurricane center to issue their warnings. And then of course the emergency managers, like, letting people know on the ground what's happening, what's going to happen. And then Matthew, seeing that, I was on the the mission where it turned north um, and became a Cat 5 overnight. And that was really memorable too because we were flying in that we knew it was going to be strong and it was going to make the turn and hit Katy, I think it was, on the west side. And that storm caused so much destruction. I think there were a lot of lives lost. Um, and we were part of that mission right before it made landfall. So just knowing, just knowing what you're doing and why, why it matters and what's important. So I would say that's some of the biggest impacts and to us as we fly these storms, knowing that it's going to make a big deal. Can you talk briefly about what hurricane forecasting was like before hurricane hunting ever became a thing? Well, really, they, I, I think back in the day, they didn't have much methods to send this information off the airplane. So you know, recently, like the last 20 to 30 years, we're, we've been able to send drops on data, our vortex messages, which are in, from the center, like our inbound legs and our the center when we get into the center. Um, and then our high resolution data that we sent off the airplane. So before that, I think a lot of it was um, communicated through um, radio. They would just basically fly the information and then they would report through communications like voice communications what they were seeing and what they did so i'm not exactly sure if that stuff was put in the models i i, I doubt it I, it was probably more real-time forecasting um but now it's come so long you know so far that you know all the data that we send on our planes us and the NOAA aircraft is assimilated into these models almost you know within minutes and then it takes that data and it is I mean, there's there's charts that show over the last 10 years, the the data has improved the models like significantly from where they used to have like the area of uncertainty of the cone. The cone used to be gigantic. Now it's 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 so narrow. Now they really can pinpoint, you know, down to, you know, 100 miles of the center of where that that storm is going to hit. How long have you guys been flying into atmospheric rivers? And did you used to have winters off? Kind of. There, so there was a time period before I came to the unit where they were they would go for one month up to either Alaska and Hawaii and fly these um, fly these winter storms or 
Um, these every other day they'd fly out in the Pacific. This is two, prior to 2010. I think 2010, they stopped that. Um, there was a study done saying, oh, you guys are flying these. It's not worth flying because you're not impacting the models. Well, the problem was, is they were flying these 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 canned tracks. They had these developed tracks. So it didn't matter where the weather was. You would just go out and fly drop sons, drop sons, the weather instruments into an area where there wasn't even weather. Well, of course, the study found that they didn't really impact the models because it wasn't custom. You weren't customizing where you flew, tailoring it based on where the weather systems were. Well, back in 2015, um, Scripps University started really, do, they were really invested in this project because it impacts them. It impacts California and, and agriculture and the economy and Oregon, Washington, and even in the state. So they really started doing this. They were like, hey, we want to fly aircraft into these storms, but we want to customize these tracks based on X um, variables. So they started doing this and they started developing, looking at the models, looking at all the models, starting to, to develop these um, tools that actually help you tell where the model is going to be the most impacted. So we started tailoring our tracks, trying to basically, it was a, a proof of concept. While doing what we're doing out there, does it impact the models? And what they did was they found that it, it significantly impacted the models. They were able to really refine the forecast by 10 to 15% where the high heaviest precip was going to hit, um, manage the reservoirs a lot more, a lot better in the West Coast by releasing water if it was going to be a flood or holding water in if it wasn't, you know, ton, billions, billions of dollars of impacts. And then we became operational in 2020. So we've been doing this um, three years operationally. And I think this was our fourth expanded over the years. Um, and it's made huge, huge impact to the West Coast and of the United States of holding water, watering, mitigating floods, um, warning people where the heaviest precip's going to be. Very similar to the impacts of a hurricane. So it's worth wor working the winter months then, is what you're saying. Definitely. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's definitely taken a toll, I would say, on us because we we don't have much time off now. Um, so one of the things we're trying to do is, is show that our mission has grown and we need more resources to to be able to do that. So hopefully in the next few years, we'll start to see that pan out. Have you ever seen anything weird while you're up there flying around? Saw a couple of birds in the eye of hurricanes out in the middle of the... <laughs> birds are so out. hardcore. They're not scared of anything. Like, what are you doing? Just flying around for days until you get over land? I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I mean, this one was actually, I think I saw one in the eye of Matthew in the Caribbean. Like, what in the world? And that's over the Caribbean. So hundreds of miles from land. Do you think it just uh, followed the eye for like hundreds of miles? I don't know. Or it just went in the ocean because they flood, you know, even 50 foot waves. Maybe it didn't, they stay on top of the water. I don't know. Wow. Ride in the waves for days. I have no clue. Well, good luck with season. We will have our fingers thank crossed you. for a safe ride and lots of information. And and thank you for all you do. And, and not a busy season. <laughs> Well, that was a fun chat with Ryan. I still have no desire to go on one of those flights. Off the Radar is a production of the National Weather Desk. And make sure you're following the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes publish every Tuesday. 
If you have a weather nerd in your life or someone that just may want to learn about hurricanes and hurricane hunting, please share this episode with them. We'd also love you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Let us know what you think of the show and give me some ideas for future episodes. This podcast is produced, hosted, and edited by me. Special thanks to Richard Cook, Jay Mishkin, and the rest of the National Weather Desk team for their contribution. I'm meteorologist Emily Gracie. Make it a great day.